0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. Well, today we begin a brand new series called King Sized Lessons on Faith and Failure. So, turning your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter twelve to fourteen, as Dr. Neufeld brings us a message called King Rehoboam and the Failure of Pride.
1: For one week, I'm going to be looking at the lives of five remarkable men. Now, I say they're remarkable, but that doesn't mean that they're all great men. You know, some are great, and some are scoundrels, and some are a mixed bag. But all five of these men have something in common. All of them were kings of the nation of Judah. Their stories are the stories of men whose joint leadership, well, they ultimately fail to save their nation from destruction. Some who may be listening to me are politicians, you know, who give leadership to the nation, but the majority, of course, are not. But the lives of these five kings are a great example for everyone, regardless of your profession or your station in life. So today we're going to take a look at a king named Rehoboam, who was a failure. Now he's a failure because what he thought really mattered was greatness, fame, and name and a reputation that he could make for himself. He didn't know what really mattered in life is how well he served others. Well, Rehoboam was born in about 971 BC, and that, of course, means that he was born, you know, almost 3,000 years ago. He was born in the last year of King David's reign, and he grew up under the great reign of his father, King Solomon. He became king at the age of 41. He lived another 17 years, and after that, he died at the age of 58. Now, you might think that becoming, you know, king at the age of 41 succeeding King Solomon, under whose leadership Israel had more land and power and money and resources and military presence than at any other time in their history. Well, that was like having a, you know, a golden spoon being put into his mouth. And furthermore, you know, he was mature enough to rule well, and he had all the resources and power to do whatever he wanted. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a king over the greatest nation on earth at that time? And what's more, It was the chosen nation of God, that the great God had chosen this nation, of all the nations on the earth, to be his chosen possession. Wow, and at 41 years of age, at a time when men reach their most productive years, Rehoboam has become king. Perhaps he would be the greatest king in history. At least, that's what Rehoboam dreamed about. He, He wanted greatness. He could almost taste it. But as we will see, life is what happens while you're making other plans. So, I'm reading Second Chronicles 10 verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Well, that one verse gives the impression of a great day in the life of Rehoboam, but as we're going to see, it was also a tragic day. This was a time which would highlight his greatest failure, a king-sized failure. You know, in one sense, Rehoboam's father was himself a king-sized failure. I know that may seem strange, but listen, Solomon started so well, and he ended so badly. And all of Solomon's unpaid bills were coming due, and Rehoboam would have had to pay them. He would pay for his father's king-sized mistakes, his king-sized unpaid bills. Well, the first unpaid bill was Solomon's blatant rebellion against God when he was an old man. You know, in his old age, Solomon ignored the law of God as he grew in power. Let me illustrate Deuteronomy 1716 16-17 gives a clear instruction about how God wanted any king to conduct himself. It says, Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And what did Solomon do? the largest cache of horses and chariots in the world. And where did he get them? Well, he went to Egypt to get them. And what's more, he married Pharaoh's daughter to form a political alliance with Egypt. And this woman became a leader in the movement to bring pagan religions into Israel. And on top of that, Solomon had 1,000 wives and concubines, a number so large, no one in the earth had more wives than he. Each one of his 400 wives needed her own villa, and that was huge. And each one of these wives brought with them their servants and their gods and the priests associated with them and spread idolatry throughout Israel. And he filled Jerusalem with so much silver and gold that silver was as common as stone and gold, well, even the cups for drinking in his palace were made of pure gold. This was the first unpaid bill. Solomon rebelled against God by living in luxury. Well, the second unpaid bill came in the form of excessive taxation. In order to pay for his obscenely opulent lifestyle, Solomon introduced forced labor, literally taxed the rest of his kingdom into poverty to pay for his perverse wants. And the third unpaid bill came in the form of enemies. And one of the chief enemies was a man named Jeroboam. Initially, Jeroboam had been put in charge of forced labor, but he he rebelled, and the king of Egypt gave him asylum there. And what's more, a leading prophet in Israel had prophesied that one day Jeroboam would tear Israel apart and take with him ten tribes of Israel. Now that Solomon was dead, Jeroboam was back. And that brings us to 2 Chronicles 10, verse 1. They've come to make Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king in Shechem. Well, Shechem was the place where Israel had first ratified the covenant with God. Shechem had two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and it was there when Israel had first entered the promised land under Joshua that they had gone there to ratify the covenant. Half of Israel stood on one mountain, and the other half on the other, and from there they repeated the words of the covenant. So I hope you can see, this could have been Rehoboam's finest hour. He could have repented of his own sins at Shechem, and for the sins of his father, and for the sins of the people, and in humility, returned to the Lord. But instead of seeing how fragile the unity of Israel had become, and how much he needed to pay his dad's bills, he rebelled. You see, Rehoboam missed the first and most important lesson in leadership. And in fact, a very important lesson about learning how to live well. So here's the first king-sized lesson. Learn to accept your situation in life. Learning to accept your situation in life is learning to accept the sovereignty of God. So many people spend much of their lives wishing that things weren't the way they were. I mean, if only I had more money. If only my spouse hadn't left me. If only... I had not gone through that tough time if only my parents had taught or treated me better. All of that, all of that, if only, blinds our eyes from what God wants to do. You know, in the movie The Lord of the Rings, Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish that none of this had happened. And Gandalf responds, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. I love Paul's counsel to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7:17. 7, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And that's the first lesson Rehoboam missed. He didn't understand his hour or his assignment from God. He was so busy trying to be great. He never understood or accepted his position from God. So let's see how it plays out, shall we? 2 Chronicles 10, 2-10. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. (laughs) You know, here's now the second lesson that Rehoboam missed. He didn't understand that his greatest contribution as the king of Israel was to bless the lives of the people of Israel. (laughs) Really, wasn't that the situation that Rehoboam now faced? Yeah, he was facing the potential of rebellion, but a good leader can see far beyond that. See, the real issue was anger over unfair taxation a taxation that was often reducing people to poverty, while the elite in the land lived in their opulent wealth. Seems that things never change. That's how they are today. And if Rehoboam would have seen that is his greatest problem, he would have served the people. But Rehoboam thought my greatest problem is to advance my greatness among the people. Oh, what a failure.
0: This past month was Back to the Bible Canada's International Ministry Month. So on behalf of everyone at Back to the Bible Canada and our international partners, we want to express our appreciation for the gracious gifts that were given to sustain and grow the impact upon these global Bible teaching efforts. The international ministry programming and resources are sent to our partners every month, ensuring a consistent flow of excellence in trustworthy Bible teaching. So please continue to pray and continue to consider how you might support these international initiatives. So call today for more information on International Monthly Partnership or to offer your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Rehoboam was facing rebellion and so he sought counsel. What was he to do? He goes to his father's counselors who advise him to be a servant. Make your first act as king an act of blessing. But his own advisors say, make your first act of king a declaration of how great you are. What is being presented to Rehoboam now is the choice between a life of servant or a life that seeks one's own glory. In Luke chapter 22, 25 to 26, Jesus put it this way. He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. So Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, washes his disciples' feet, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and gave his life so that we might live. In contrast, Rehoboam was being presented with a model of demanding that the lives of others and their energy might be given to him so he can live in luxury. This is not just about leadership. It's about life. How do you want to live your life? Do you want to be someone great or do you want to be someone's servant? What motivates you? Do you want to be like Rehoboam or do you want to be like Jesus? That's a stark contrast. It's the choice before all of us. If you really want greatness, seek humility. Rehoboam simply couldn't go there. He wanted to show everyone that his little finger was thicker than his father's thigh. He wanted to show how much better he could do than Solomon. And then came his claim to fame. So let's read it, 2 Chronicles 1014 to 16. King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God, that the Lord might fulfill his words, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nabat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents. that's what King Rehoboam is known for. He's the king whose foolishness brought an end to Israel as a nation. From that day on, that one nation was now divided into two nations. Ten tribes would abandon him and would be known as the nation of Israel. And he would be left ruling only two tribes and his nation would be known as the nation of Judah. He was utterly humiliated. Now, you might think, You know, that's a life lesson of Rehoboam, the man whose pride led not to humility, but to humiliation. However, that's not all the case. Commentators who have tracked the career of Rehoboam's life will tell you that the midpoint of his career was the high point of his career. After his terrible error, well, he seems to catch his footing. So, how so? You know, first, he refused to go to war with Jeroboam of Israel. And to try to get his kingdom back. And, and why did he do that? Well, it's because a prophet from God told him not to, and amazingly, he obeys. And then after that, 2 Chronicles chapter 11 tells us he builds up the fortified cities, not on the north, that is, on the border with Israel, because he doesn't want war there. He builds them on the south to build protection against Egyptian invasions. But he does something else. Jeroboam, king of the new nation of Israel, is setting up Israel as the headquarters for idolatry and false religion. And in response, Rehoboam opens up his kingdom for the servants of the Lord. The temple remains in Jerusalem's capital, and many people from the north come to Judah to worship the Lord at the temple. And all those who seek the Lord strengthen the kingdom of Judah. So you see, this too is part of Rehoboam's legacy. And from this, we learn another king-sized lesson. You know, lesson number three is that failure at some point in our lives does not mean we need to continually be marked as a failure. And I think that's such an important lesson. I mean, perhaps you've fallen out of a marriage, or perhaps you've failed to raise your children well, or perhaps you've made a mess out of your career, or something else. And if you've failed in the past, that doesn't mean you're a failure. Listen to Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. See, that means that, well, my disappointments and my accomplishments and my successes and even my sins, that is, when I confess them and turn to the Lord, God can use anything, even sins and failures, if I turn them over to Him. Let me see it again. If you failed because of your own stupidity in the past, remember three things. One, God forgives. Christ bore your sins. It's forgiven. Stop looking at yourself. Look at Christ. Number two, God has a plan for your restoration. In his economy, even your sins will work out for your good if you repent. And number three, you needn't spend the rest of your life worrying about what might have been, but rather looking forward to what God will use you for both now and in heaven. Failure at some point in your life doesn't mean you're a failure. If only Rehoboam would have remembered. But now comes a sobering lesson four. Pride is insidious and must be seen as a lifelong enemy. You don't ever defeat pride once and for all. It's never forever defeated. It was pride that caused Rehoboam to fail, and it would seem he hadn't quite mastered it. In fact, Rehoboam begins to repeat his sins. 2 Chronicles 12, verse 1. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So what did he do? Well, first, he had 18 wives and 60 concubines. Secondly, according to First Kings, he got involved in the same kind of idolatry as dad, probably because of the same political alliances and all the idolatry with his political wives. And so people are coming over to him. His kingdom seems strong, and he's becoming proud, and he seems to say, I don't need God. He's again convinced that his little finger is really thicker than his father's thighs. And so God humiliated him a second time. 2 Chronicles 12 tells us that because Rehoboam was unfaithful to God, God sent the king of Egypt to come up against Jerusalem. And in order to appease him, Rehoboam gave him the treasures in the house of the Lord. Well, it was so bad that the gold shields that Solomon had made for the guards who guarded the temple, those were taken away by the Egyptians. And Rehoboam had to replace them with bronze shields. The showcase of his failures were now obvious to everyone. So now here's the second legacy of Rehoboam. His first is that under him, the United Kingdom was lost, a kingdom that would never be restored. But his second legacy is that the wealth of Solomon left his kingdom never to be restored. In fact, Rehoboam was one of those leaders whose legacy is that the kingdom he inherited was rich and large and powerful and famous. And the kingdom he left was small and poor and under siege and little noticed. In fact, the legacy he left was a divided kingdom that was constantly at war with itself, constantly getting smaller and weaker until it would eventually, after 300 years, be defeated. So here's a lesson. You can humble yourself, or God will humble you. Which one do you want? Do you want to leave your mark, or do you want to, in the name of Christ, serve others, regardless of how menial that service might be, and frankly, I'm convinced that this is a decision that all of us have to make in our individual lives and in whatever leadership is left to us. Shall we choose service which leads ultimately to lasting glory, or shall we put ourselves first which leads to everlasting humiliation? I'd be amiss here if I didn't mention that after all these events for the second time, Rehoboam humbled himself again. And should also be said that some good things were still found in Judah. It was not a complete disaster, but it was a disaster in the sense that when Rehoboam died, he did leave the land filled with idolatry. That still was there. And that leaves us with a final life lesson from King Rehoboam. In the end, your life will be judged in whether you seek God or whether you seek your own praise. Your life will be judged on whether Christ and his cross and his resurrection and his promises are more than enough for you. And whether you can say with the Apostle Paul, from Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Will you boast in the cross alone? Or will your life be judged on whether you sought to highlight your own greatness so that in the end, your life will be remembered for its moments of great humiliation? See, each one of us is going to have to choose very wisely. Take the hard road of humility today, for it leads to greatness. Take the road of greatness for today, and it will lead to humiliation. Jesus taught us that. The life of Rehoboam reinforces it. His life eventually was a king-sized failure.
0: Thanks so much, John, and thanks for a great series that we're beginning. Let me ask you this, though. Why do you think that taking on the example of Christ's humility is is so difficult for us to embrace?
1: Well, a lot of it, I think, Ben, has to do that every single one of us wants to make our mark. Now, you know, it, it takes some discussion to ask ourselves, is it a good thing to want to make our mark in this world? And yet it's so deeply infused in our character. I mean, we want you know, after we're gone, that there's something that we've left behind. And so, you know, we imagine that we have something amazing to contribute. You know, that's why so many people, when they get to the end of their lives, look back and they're just disappointed at what's happened. See, the humble individual, the one who takes upon themselves the example of Christ, lays aside their own visions of grandeur for themselves, and then says, you know, far be it from me that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would never boast about anything except that Jesus died for me and that I have been made into his child, and it's my delight to serve him so that he gets the glory, I get none. See, this is the battle of our entire lives, and this is what it means to live by faith. Uh, We we don't use Rehoboam as our example. We would use Paul as our example. Uh, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus. May that be what we say.
0: Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series King-Sized Lessons on Faith and Failure right here on Back to the Bible Canada, and Bible teaching you can trust. You know, some things don't mix. Oil and water, plaids and polka dots... It's not that these couplings never occur, but our minds don't really readily pair them. The same holds true with our pains and joys, both expected, but we rarely consider them as simultaneous. But God adjusts our thinking. The Bible reminds us that joy can be found in trials, and our tears can be turned into laughter. It's not instant or self-generating, but a matter of God's grace working within us, like gold refined in fire joy can be found in the midst of struggle. So to encourage you as our free gift this month, we want to send you a combo CD series from Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five joy-filled Laugh Again episodes. Joy in Tough Times, our free gift to you just for calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca